Welcome to Yella Mensa, exploring cross-centered contextual justice in the South African context. Yella Mensa is a ministry of East Bombano, Center for Public Justice. I'm your host, David Kluter, and with me is John Skiepers. John, hey everybody. Mensa. Hello, Yeah, You know, we're international now, so I don't know if I say hello for is a thing anymore because we, we're flying high now, hey? Are we, I, are, I, are we I, still I, there? I, are we? The name of the podcast is Yellow Mensa, so I kind of <laughs> think we can keep the Mensa in here. I'll keep if the they don't know what that is, then I don't know what they're doing here. So. Okay, okay, okay. But welcome, everyone. Today is the second part of our mini series looking at how we read the Bible. In part one, we looked at reading the Bible in community with our dear friend, Jeremy Kuris. And today we're going to talk about reading the Bible in proximity to the poor. To help us do that, we have a very special guest with us, Reverend Chikani uh, Sibanda from the Church of the Nazarene in Kailicha. Reverend Chikani is, uh, is also the chairperson of the Ujama uh, Collective, a freelance trainer on women's health-related issues and community health evangelism facilitator. Welcome to Yella Mensa. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Hello, Yella Mensa. <laughs> Welcome. <yeah. laughs> it's so good to have you. It's such an honor to have you. We discussed this off air, but to all our Reformed brothers, evangelical brothers out there, yes, she is a Rev, and I'm going to call her Reverend throughout the session in love. Rev, please tell us a bit about yourself, your work, and your faith journey. Thank you for introducing me with so many <laughs> things there. But yeah, so as you said that I am Reverend Zakani Simanda. So I am ministering in Kailicha currently. Ujama Collective is, is, is a community-based movement organization. And because I love working in community. So both mm, being a great. reverend and also being a, a community worker. So I always call myself, you know, community worker, reverend, pastor, <laughs> activist, you know, there all you of go. those. There you go. There <laughs> you go. Come on. They kind of form the, uh, my identity in a sense. Um, there you go. You know, there you so go. I, I love that. And also because being a female and knowing exactly some of the challenges that women have, to, you know, that they experience. So when we're talking about yeah. health, it's not only health, like in a physical sense, but it's also holistic in, in, in a sense mm, that mm, what we good. experience mm. as women is something that I think if men had a little bit of an idea of what we go through, the world will be a different. Wow. Wow. So wow. being an advocate, you know, like, so basically being an activist for women, um, right, you know, in right. the church and also in, in just the world in general. So I love doing that. Wow, I feel like that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, be, and then the challenges of being a female ordained clergy. Now that is a different story. Oh, oh well. sure. So, you, you went there. I, I went there before fellas. you, but but you went there. Yes, yes, you went there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but all of these are umbrellas I carry with me, like the hats that mm. I wear every time I, that I, I that, that I introduce myself. I'm like, you gotta understand that I'm not only standing as Zagani, but I carry the communities that I speak of with me and I carry sure. you know, the women that I speak of. I carry the communities like Kailicha is with me <laughs> wherever right. I speak, right. I, you know, acknowledging that and also recognizing yeah. that I'm an ordained person, ordained clergy in the church. So I carry the identity of the church with me as well. So the brokenness and, and the madness of the church is also a part of the identity that I carry with me. I love that. So that's a little yeah. bit about oh. myself. <laughs> Ah, that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh, and man. my faith journey I, 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 would have been something else because I've been in this 
in for a very long time. Sometimes it doesn't look like it, but yeah, you know, encountering Christ as a teenager, yeah. even though I grew up in the church, right? Mm. But encountering Christ mm-hmm. as right. a teenager and just beginning that journey, it has had its own ups and downs, but it's been a journey that when I look back, I'm always, you know, grateful for having encountered Christ mm. and, and knowing that he's, he's my Lord and he's my savior. So Amen. Yes, that's at the end of the day, really all that matters. Um, you're walking with him, you're loving him. And what you're doing is a reflection of that, of that love that he has for you and that love that you have for him. And so once again, we're just honored and we're just privileged and blessed to have you with us. I'm actually very happy because I remember at the Justice Conference, I came late because I had to pick up a couple of people. And mm. I missed your talk and everybody oh. was raving about this woman who just spoke. And I was like, is there recordings available? And to this day, I never heard your oh, talk. And I'm I sorry. was so, ah, man. <laughs> Again, so this is the second part of our mini series in reading the Bible. So in part one, we discussed the importance of reading the Bible in community. And so perhaps as we get into this conversation and also as a way of recapping on our previous episode, would you tell us why this is so important, who we read the Bible with? I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we would like to think that we are neutral when we come to the Bible. And actually Mm. we are not because all of us have been shaped, our lenses, our worldviews have been shaped by either our experiences, our social location, Mm -hmm. or even the theological school of thoughts that we are coming from. And so when we come to the Bible, we come with this attitude, no, I'm neutral and I'm just going to hear what what it says. But the truth of the matter is we hear what has been taught to us to see and Mm -hmm. to read and to hear. You know, like I said, I I grew up in the church. So basically, I read the Bible with the lenses that Sunday school taught me. So those stories, when you read the story of Noah and the ark, you read it with the lens of your Sunday school teacher, right? You can never read beyond what the Sunday school teacher taught you or what your pastors have been preaching on or what, you know, your teachers have been preaching on. So you always, those are the lenses that shape us. And so the importance of reading the Bible with others is the fact that if we, especially if you include people who do not necessarily have the same lens that you have, you begin to see things that you will not see because you have been shaped differently. And so the invitation, basically, I think for me, the important thing is how do we get the most of scripture? Like, how do we get the most of what Mm. the Bible is about the message and the story of God to be able to get as much as possible is to be able to see and to recognize that I'm wearing glasses and those glasses are shading what I'm seeing. And the other day yeah. I was driving and actually I put on uh, like my brown sunglasses and I completely forgot I had them on, you know, get out of the car and then you like just keep walking. And then and then all of a sudden I was like, why is it so like, the, the, like this guy has changed a little bit because I was indoors wearing my, I had forgotten oh, that I wore those, right? Yeah. And then so you walk outside and it's like, oh, wow, it's so cloudy, but the, why is it so yellow? So I'm thinking it's like, it's the color of the sunset, but it's actually the color of my glasses, right? That has faded. Yeah, over. right. And so when we come to the scripture, the, the backgrounds that we come with, that's what happens to what we're reading. And so all yeah. of a sudden, when you have somebody who reads the Bible differently from you, then you get to see, ah, I'm actually wearing glasses. 
And maybe yeah. if I take the glasses, mm. I'll find out that it's not as cloudy as I thought it was. Right. The sky is not yellow <laughs> like I thought it is, yeah. you know, all of a sudden because yeah. I'm wearing the yellow glasses. So, and I think that's why it's important that we sure. invite mm, people. Are there negatives mm. and positives to um, recognizing that we sometimes, you know, have a contextual location when we come to the Bible? I wouldn't say like a lot of negatives. I think the negatives that I would see would be the shaking of the faith because often we experience a, a discomfort. Is that really in the scripture? And so sometimes it becomes easier to put your head in the sand and ignore where the challenge, you know, the challenge is there because all of a sudden you're feeling uncomfortable and does it mean that you're no longer a Christian? Does it mean that you're no longer, you know, faith? Does it mean that what you've been taught all the time is a lie? And so coming to that place, I think it's difficult for a lot of people. And so usually, and also even for, for leaders in the churches, because that is a fear that once people get to that place of seeing things like that, people might leave us, you know, there is an exodus out of church, people lose their faith or people, you know, leave the church and they join another church. So there's always these things that the fears that we have to confront when we we do something like this because there is a lot of fears around it. The positives for me is always that a faith that's not challenged doesn't withstand. And I'm just like one of those people where I believe very sure. strongly that, that the more you are challenged, the more you are where you have to ask the harder questions drives you to the point of desperation for God. Are you there? Are you real? Yeah. I, you know, is this the truth? Mm. Is this real? And so for me, when I, when I, you know, the invitation for me, it's always like when I stretch myself, I stretch myself time, you know, to say, you know, I feel uncomfortable and that yeah. discomfort, you know, asks me really hard questions. And I have to wonder, you know, should I still continue preaching the gospel and I have to right. ask, where is the power of the gospel in this particular situation? Mm-hmm. And then I have to like do that. And then the searching and the desperation for God. And he's amazing because in a sense, he meets us at the point of the need. And how strong will your faith become the more you actually get into those places where you're like, I don't know if you're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you exist. Yeah. I don't know if this is real. I don't know if this is true. And when you find it, when you find that faith, it's very hard to lose it because you saw it in the most, it's, yeah. it has withstood, you know, like That's some really awesome. tough happening in your life and as well. So, because yeah. often I think the challenges of our faith, we always think about it, oh, I was sick. And then I don't know if, you know, like you, then you're wandering off and then sometimes it's like, oh, I lost the loved one. And then you're like, we're questioning God. It's almost like we expect that. Yeah. And then we also expect the comfort of the word during those seasons, right? Mm. Because there is the comfort of the word. Now, imagine if the comfort of the word is not there because you don't know if this is, if you should hold on to it. Now, what are you going to find in that space? What, what do you, what Mm. do you gain in this? The actual presence Mm. of the living God, the actual experience of the Holy Spirit that comforts you mm. and that co- takes you back to the word where you can actually re-figure the word out. And so that's, it's it, for me, I think it's so the good. most beautiful experience you can have to go mm. through that. But it's beautiful 
afterwards because <laughs> they're going through it. Yeah. I will never promise anybody process, that you. The process is always yes, I will never yeah. pro- promise yeah. anybody that when you go through that, yeah. it's going to be like, oh, joyful. Oh, God is here. Oh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Because literally, mm-hmm. it's almost like you lose your faith and you find it again. I think I would echo just so much of that. I think the negatives come when you don't recognize a lens mm. and it's a real danger that you kind of yeah. have a narrow parochial uh, Christianity that actually ends up affirming everything that culture has taught you. Yes. Uh, everything that's there. And you, and there's so many blind spots and I just had that grappling, that unquestioned faith that when you, when you're forced to question your faith, when you recognize your own lens, when you're having to go, hang on, I've been through a theological college and uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm asking questions. I, I want to go, I often say to people, I, I kind of want to go back to first year again and, <laughs> like from where I am now and, and, and relook at all that and want to ask all those questions again mm. because I feel like I didn't realize what a lens I had at that point. Sure. That, that can be very disconcerting. The questions themselves are, can be very beautiful. Mm. Sure. I know I find myself in, in, in spaces like, and we mentioned the Justice Conference uh, already where you have this broad Christianity uh, of people coming from all over and people are saying things. Uh, and I often find myself going, ooh, ooh, I don't agree with that. Ooh, mm. ooh, that makes me very uncomfortable. And then I've had to go, but uh, the question this person ask, is asking is really good. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I agree with the answer. And then I have to go, but what is my, what mm. is my tradition? Mm. What is my theology sure. have to say to that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. they've got nothing to say. Oh, okay. And so now I'm forced to wrestle with that mm. and, and go like, and that is profoundly uncomfortable. I think like Sakani has said, but but the outcome is beautiful and it's just the solid faith. And I think we get to know God's word deeper and mm-hmm. richer yeah. uh, because we have to, we have to grapple with it. And that's a tremendous blessing. It's an enormous blessing. Just a, a silly example. I was in Eastern Cape and we, we were sitting in the living room and you know, during the, during the December period, that summer period, you know, the weather, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of thunder Sure. And, and 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 bolstering and we have a 102 year old granny and uh she came out of the room a little bit scared of all the thunder that was going on oh, and yeah. we were sitting in the yeah. living room and as she came in she was like I, I i i don't feel you know this this is too scary this is it's going on mm. too much and sure. immediately when i when i wanted to comfort her when i op- wanted to open a passage i had to pause myself sort of in my mind and ask what is she thinking? A hundred and two year old Kosa woman. Sure. All of those elements, 102 mm. Kosa woman. Mm. Mm. As I'm gonna open the scripture, what is her social location? Mm. We're all sitting here in this living room, but she's mm. sitting in a different space than where I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. And so as I went to Job and God was speaking to Job saying, I made the thunder, I did this. It wasn't just a truth claim that I had to throw out there. I had to then speak in a way that resonates and lands with her that actually comforts her. Recognizing mm-hmm. all of the things that she's thinking as an elder woman, as a woman and as a closer sure. person. Mm. And so that is so, so important that when we do this in community uh, and with a recognition of our lenses, it helps us be more faithful with the text. Sure. It helps us be more faithful. And what you're saying, Rev, is that we, we deal with those difficult issues, those emotional, those, those struggles differently when, mm-hmm. we, when, we, when we take the whole package and we remember all of that stuff. Let's get a little bit more focused here. Uh, sure. What does it mean to read scripture in proximity to the poor and why is that so important? 
I wrestled a little bit with this one, with this question, because it was when we say in proximity that basically we have, which is a good thing to recognize that we are so far removed that we now need to relocate ourselves to be in proximity to. But then my problem with it, with the question was, I mean, what I'm happy to say, we recognize the fact that we are so far removed. We're Mm -hmm. reading scripture from a different location. My problem with it was in proximity means close to. And you, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I think you heard me there. <laughs> I, I heard you. Yes. Uh, so yeah, John, for, I'm for not just Presbyterian. I can amen as well. <laughs> yes, yes, you can yes. amen. I can amen. I can amen. I can amen. <laughs> You know, and and I'm saying to ourselves, um, listen, when we talk, with the things we talk about poverty porn, right? We talk about mm. uh, poverty tourism, where we are in display of this poverty. When we are, you know, when the poor people are, the you know, like it's in a zoo. Basically, mm. we're coming there to like look and be like, wow, you know, or oh, amazed, or oh, we didn't know. Oh yeah, wow, you know. But we're still so far removed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wrestled with that question because I'm like, well, you can be in proximity to an animal in the zoo, like a lion. Sure. And then there's a fence that protects you. Mm. And so like you this. are not going to, you are not in danger. You're not exposed mm. to what the wow. actual lion is experiencing because you are just in proximity to. And mm. so I wrestled with that because I'm like, mm, we shouldn't read the Bible in proximity to. Well, I think it's a noble idea, especially when we recognize the distance we have. And I think it's a good step forward to say, I want to move you know, like I need to, I recognize I have glasses, yeah. I have lenses. Mm-hmm. I recognize that I'm too far. I recognize all of this. So it's, it's a, for me, that's the first step of repentance, right? When mm. you acknowledge, when you're talking about, you know, recovery, you have to acknowledge the problem first. So yeah. the language is that of acknowledgement, but I don't think it moves us to the place where we need to be. And for me, and that's the place where I, you know, we talk about incarnation, Mm, okay. Jesus became one of us. Yeah. And then we could hear the heart of the Father because he was one of us. Mm-hmm. He was not, he did not stay in heaven and said, God loves you. <laughs> right? He, he, he had dusty feet. He, he mm. got hungry. He got, um, you know, he walked the streets. He was rejected. He got the pain. He got, he, he knew what we, you know, and that's why we can recognize him as, you know, as our priest, because we acknowledge what he has done. And I am saying, you know, if we want to, if we want to move, like recognizing that and say we want to move, we have to be thinking, these are our brothers, these are our sisters. Mm-hmm. We are family. Yeah. It's relationship. It's mm-hmm. not proximity. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know... I, I I know what's going on here because it's my household. It's my house. It's my oh. it's, it's my family. Um, I'm not watching from a distance and not knowing exactly what's going on with my brother, my sister. Um, and as long as the poor are something or someone we need to come close to right. and not somebody we relate to, mm-hmm. then I think we th- this whole exercise will fail us um, because wow. we are not... We can, we can watch, we will be wowed. We will be like, oh, I didn't know this. A friend of mine in the week, we were talking about 
isn't it amazing that we can have a sermon? So, so I did something. So there was a service and then there was a sermon. You know, someone is preaching and they're like, uh, I wasn't preaching, but we had a guest speaker. And then like you act. When the word speaks, you act, you do something about it. And then so, but on our way home, we talked about the fact that isn't it amazing that we can preach the same text and then do exactly the opposite immediately after church. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's like that did not do anything. We've just went through the emotions and saying amen and lifting our hands up and then crying. And then we walk outside of the church. They're they're preaching about love your neighbor. You walk outside of the church and you know what's going on with your neighbor and you're still not able to do anything about it. Mm. You know, like for me. Yeah. That is what we're thinking, like when we're saying we want to be in proximity to. And so I wanted to rephrase that to say, how do we read scripture as a household of God that's inclusive? So mm-hmm. we are being inclusive. We are not like the outside members of the family, but we are all mm-hmm. together because when we do that, yeah. Uh, the pain of my sister is my pain. When my sister is in hospital, listen, I am restless because I don't know. I, I, I can't mm. sleep because my sister is in hospital. And so when I want to pray, the first person that comes to my head is mm. not somebody who's far from me, but it's actually th- my sister because she is lying in hospital right. and is sick. I pick up the phone. I call five times because I'm just like, you know, what's going on if I can't make it to the hospital Mm -hmm. and every chance I get, I will do it. Now, what would happen if to the household of God, if we did that with each other? Sure. Like how much, um, how much more would that happen? But also the important part of it is that when we begin to read scripture together, we can trust one another when we are family and when we are in relationship to each other. Sure. Yeah. We can't, it's very, very hard for somebody who does not know me to trust what I'm saying mm. because they don't know who you are. They, you know, it's like, oh, what are you bringing in here? You, you know, you, and, and as preachers, you know, sometimes we're very protective of our, of our pulpits as well. It's like, you know, I can't invite that person. You know, you, you, you want to make sure that your flock eats well, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like, you don't want to bring all kinds of weirdness going on in mm-hmm, your church. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to know that if you don't know me? How are you going to mm. know what I'm bringing if you don't know me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but so also, powerful. if I come, will you trust what I have to say if you don't know me? No. Because mm. mm. you don't know me. But if you know me, when we read scripture together, that trust level makes it easy for people to take off their lenses because all of a sudden, it's David. I know David. I know who he yeah. is and I know how much he loves the Lord. I know how much, you know, I can, you know, like all of that comes to the sense to say, okay, if he says this... I'm more open to hearing him, even if I may not agree, but I'm more open yeah. because I trust him. And so relationships don't break because of that. You don't get to mis- misinterpret my passion for anger, right? Because mm. I'm passionate. So now you think I'm angry or, you know, ah. all of those things, like all ah. of those misunderstandings when you have a relationship and not in proximity to yeah. things change. It's interesting because one of the things we often find when we talk to particularly uh, black Christians, color Christians in so-called multicultural churches, and to use your language, even though they're in proximity to one another, 
They are still not trusted to handle the word. They are still not oh, trusted right. with the interpretation. Their questions are still not in, mm-hmm. entrusted. So, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, I like what you're saying in, in in that sense that proximity is not our goal. It's what does it mean to be an inclusive family so that we are actually mm-hmm. hearing from yeah. not just people who look different as people with different economic aspects. And do we trust them? Do we yeah. are, are we willing to trust them when they mm. when someone is saying I, I you know you're missing something in the text. Uh, you're sure. reading that because you're wealthy and you will never see this. But when I read yes. this, like I resonate with this person. I understand that you, you, and understandably you won't see it because you've never been hungry, for instance, or yes. you never known mm-hmm. that. But, but how do you miss that? You know, it's interesting that you're saying that because now it almost becomes not only a problem that's related to rich and poor, it's, it becomes a problem that we can actually see even in churches where there perhaps is a lot more economic parity, but there may be racial uh, or gender, or all mm-hmm. kinds of other yep. things that we're using to exclude each other. So I like what you're saying about reading scripture as incarnational communities, living with one another. I think this is this is so so important for because as I was, I think I think as we came out of Easter, one of the things that challenged me as I went through probably seven different commentaries. Mm. looking at the significance of of the resurrection and the questions that all of these theologians being all white men dealt with was sort of the evidence from mm. a white western perspective of of the resurrection yeah and i thought to myself what 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 does that do when we when we when we deal with the resurrection when we talk the evidence, um, and I'm thinking in Africa, I have not often come across any particular person of color who's disputing the resurrection. Mm. They're actually trying to interpret the resurrection mm. in light of mm. the experience, yeah. because the supernatural is not a, is not an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an intellectual debate mm. whether this is a possibility. And so (laughs) when they, when they see an angel speaking that challenges them and they asking questions about the the significance of that for my life Mm. and how this Jesus who gets resurrected from the dead impacts Mm. the world that I live in and, and, Mm. and and then what significance that then has for, for, for my life. And, And I was thinking about that and I was thinking about this, this, just this question of theology and this question of trusting and, and who we reading and what does that mean for our sort of relationship within the because uh, we then feeding people who are listening to us a kind of you know, theology or perspective that is so removed from even ourselves, those of us who are in the South African context and African context, mm-hmm. expounding the biblical text. We're being faithful and we're being wonderfully, you know, theologically sound, but we're missing the people because that's not where the people are at in terms of their own wrestling and grappling with the resurrection. Um, not to say that the evidence for the resurrection is not a it's not a big thing, and we need to we need mm-hmm. to we need to delve into that. But I love the way you flip the question in that it comes back to this question again of who are we reading? Like, who are we, who are we in, in, in not necessarily just proximity with, but who are we family with? Mm-hmm. And if we are family with those people, how does that then influence my theology and my interpretation of the biblical text? Because I know what such and such person or so-and-so is, is grappling with when they hear this kind of theology being expounded from the, from the pulpit. 
I wanted to say, you oh. know, I mean, like oh, when we think um, in terms of just where we're coming from, you know, the school of thoughts that that have influenced our thinking and and how we, you know, it's, we have different schools of thoughts and they've existed for a very long time. But when we're coming back to saying, you know, when we're thinking even about Africa, one of the things about when you were talking, I thought about is you, you would notice that while in the Western ideas, you know, ideas we would, uh, you know, look for the evidence and then we celebrate. Mm -hmm. Easter is big in the Western, um, you know, understanding of theology. But have you noticed that what's big in the, uh, you know, in the colored communities and in the black, I don't know about the colored communities so much, but in the black communities, Good Friday is the most important time of mm. Easter and not, and not the Sunday. The resurrection. Oh, wow. And and so you would spend you'd spend the Friday and the Saturday reflecting mm. on Good Friday and not the Sunday. Sure. And and people don't we don't we don't even even think about that. Like how how you know how do you how do you, how do people get to that place where you know the death of Jesus is more important than his resurrection? <laughs> it's not that it's not important, it's not that they don't celebrate it, but there is more you know emphasis and more, you know, like how big the Good Friday service is, as opposed to how big the Easter Sunday is, you know. Yeah. Um, and so those kinds of things, like the the, the spirituality of people, because the realities where they live in, you, you have to like, you know, think about those things. So, but I just wanted to add that to say we are being influenced all around and it's, it's a good thing for us to recognize the, how we're being influenced and how we interpret, you know, our faith, because it's a way of interpreting our faith and, and how you do your faith, wherever you're located. Yes, that's, that is so important. And I think the relevance to the bigger question that we're trying to address here of reading in proximity to the poor is because we have to acknowledge that poverty is racialized. Mm -hmm. And so talking about the black community in this sense, it matters because it matters what people make of the biblical text within the black and often poor community context and mm -hmm. what is important for them. And then how we, how we tell the story of, of Jesus within that context and what they deem to be important mm -hmm. as people who are yeah. thinking. And so if, if, if the death of Jesus is, is something that they resonate, then maybe we need to spend more time theologizing and thinking through what that means mm -hmm. for people within that context. Mm -hmm. And why. Mm -hmm. And why. Right. Yeah. So, so those are key things. And yeah. And, and so, so when you are in relationship with people as opposed to in proximity to people, mm -hmm. that makes a huge shift. Um, and I wanted to also say that when we do this kind of work of saying we want to, so the recognition is one step, but it takes a whole lot more work to get to the place where we are one household, yes. where we are one family, mm. and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And that's the point that we miss a lot because we don't want to do the work, mm. right? So it's easy to read in proximity to right. than to read together the scripture mm. as a household, um, and because that takes a lot of work because you don't build relationships, you know, like they don't happen that quickly. Those, you know, yeah. um, and also how do you make those relationships in a way that they're not, you're not going to create more harm than mm. good because mm. good intentions have created a whole lot of harm. Um, and so yeah. you, you say you don't want to just create more harm. Um, and so the amount of work that needs to go into that is a lot of work. And 
um, yes, I would say to, you know, to, to the people, if we want to do this way, we have to be committed because it's not going to happen that easily. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I was reflecting while you were talking or both of you were talking and, and obviously a lot of our, our, our theology, and I'm using that just kind of our and in, in, in a broad sense. Um, and I think it's probably mm. fair. A lot of the theology that's influenced many of us and certainly our seminaries and our mainline is, is very much dominated, but often by Western thought, by Western ways of doing things. Um, and that's problematic. And like I said, we're missing things. We're, 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 mm. we're missing a lot in scripture. And there's, there are power dynamics at play there as well. What you're saying is interesting is that we, we, we will never get to read in, in proximity to the poor. Or we'll never learn to take off those lenses until we actually change the structures that are keeping us apart. Yeah. Um, and so we can we can do proximity and then go back to yeah. uh, the suburbs or go back to mm-hmm. our, our monocultural communities. But actually, we need to be saying how are we breaking down the structures? Um, and it's not just and, and as Christians, I mean, I don't know if I'm taking it too to what you're saying or pushing it too far. In one sense, you're saying as Christians, it's not just because of the socioeconomic stuff. Actually, we need to break down the structures because we want to know God better because we want to get to know the yep. word better. And we're not going to do that until we're actually living incarnationally, reading scripture together and breaking yep. down some of those power dynamics. The, bar- the barriers and yeah. the power dynamics, all of those structures that mm. are keeping. And I think, you know, for me, that's, you know, that's the task of the church because our task is to paint the picture of the kingdom. Come on. Right? So when we, what picture of a kingdom are we painting? You know, what does a new Jerusalem look like? And so as long as we have these boundaries and these walls, those boundaries are the fences that help us read in proximity to while we can watch and see and be wowed and then go back home. But when we then begin to say, we want the church to reflect what the kingdom looks like, what, you know, what we hope for, for the new Jerusalem, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we need to live, the church needs to do that, live like that, Mm. And and when we live like that, the word becomes transformational. Yeah. Community becomes transformational. God begins to be glorified. And when God is glorified, he will draw many unto himself. Mm. Right? It's yeah. a huge yeah. testimony. <laughs> We're not able to do that. <laughs> yeah. So the church alone is not able to do that because we still very much, in a sense, we actually even are the ones that protect those walls to never go down because... Yeah, that's the truth. It's scary. Yeah. It's a lion. Don't know what's going to happen if it comes out of the zoo. (laughs) Beyond this fence, I don't, I will not be safe. So Mm -hmm. let's do this closeness thing and, but never go to saying we are all part of creation. Actually, you're not a lion. You're just be a human being who's been put behind a wall. Right. Uh, But you didn't know that because. Right. You never, you never. You never knew. Yeah. You never, you never. Came came into my life now. Now yeah. with with the question of yeah. which you flipped on proximity, mm-hmm. does it matter then the where? So we we we, we the, the where of of reading yes. scripture. Yes. So we reading scripture as a family, mm-hmm. but often that location when it is the church. Yes. If it does happen, if it happens, uh-huh. it often happens within a closed church context. And I wonder even if there is a lot of reading together mm. within sure. that setting that happens. And so yeah. the question of where we read scripture, how important is that question? Well, I think it's really, really important. Uh, for me, it matters. It matters where you read the location. 
I said to somebody, I was giving an example and saying, now, if you use, you know, we in some of the traditional churches, you, you've been brought up to say you need to have your quiet time, right? Everybody must have their quiet time. And then, um, right. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, your quiet time with the Lord at the beginning of the day and says the tone of the day. Um, now, imagine if your quiet time is filled with bullets. Sure. Now. That silent thing that you do in, you know, on, on, you know, in the quiet streets of, of Rondebosch, and then there is this quiet time you're doing with, you know, you're hearing sirens, you're hearing bullets, you're hearing, you know, commotion around you, loud music that deafens you. How do you hear God in that, in that space? Sure. When you read scripture, what what do you hear? When you when you're praying, what wow. do you hear? Do you need to pray louder now? Because there's all these noises around you, <laughs> you know. And then when you go to, to to another church in the suburb and you're praying out loud, and everybody's like, "Why are you being so loud? You don't, you know, like you <laughs> don't have to scream out because God is not, you know, he's not oh. deaf; he can hear you." And then, but <laughs> like, oh, that's I mean, some like, fire! That was some fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, trying to figure. So these things, it, it matters. It matters where you read because. It shapes your understanding of God. Mm. It literally, it shapes how you understand God in the context. Mm. Um, it shapes how you hear him mm. in the context. You know, on Sunday, this previous Sunday, one of the ladies at church said something that bothered me and it still bothers me the whole week to this point. You know, even on Wednesday, I was saying, yo, you said something. It's, it bothers me so much during her time of testimony and she just like you know we need to be we thank god that it, we know that when we wake up there's blood on the streets sure. i mean you say that in the passing you say it as as, as you know it's, it's normal like normally what should happen when you wake up in this blood on the streets what happened people are gathering something happened right that's a normal reaction yeah. but to jump over blood and go to church yeah and that's normal Right now, how do you hear God in that? Who is God sure. for you in that context? Yeah. Um, you know, when you read scripture, what do you see when you know that you jump over blood? That's is a normal thing. Yeah, it's a normal thing to see teenage teenagers washing blood of the street. Sure, blood smells right. Um, and, and so for somebody like me, when I start to read and, and I'm like, when I think about Golgotha, I said to somebody actually, you know, in the week, because so this whole notion of blood, um, uh, I think, was it two years ago, three years ago at church, we had the Easter conference before all the lockdown and stuff happened. And we were in church and we were worshiping and it was amazing. Uh, it was an amazing experience. Excuse me. And then the the, one of the ladies went home during the, you know, the break, you know, the, between the services. Yeah. And when she came back um, and I, you know, like the, after the last service and I was walking her and she's like, oh my gosh, you know, so basically something happened while we were in church having our hands up. Somebody was beat to death. There was blood oh. on the street next to the church all over. So she tells me about this blood on the street, right? Sure. Um, and, and, and that happened while we were in church. Someone was being beat on our fence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And their blood splattered everywhere. We were being blessed in church. 
Now, how is that, you know, so what do you preach as a, as, 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 yeah. as a minister in a context like that, right? Um, and so I said to somebody this week when I was reflecting on that lady talking about blood and thinking even about the previous Easter when there was blood. And I'm like, if I had to paint a picture of Golgotha, is this not Golgotha? Sure. Blood just running on the streets. It's, it's, it's a, it, that's what Golgotha was, right? Where mm-hmm. Caesar killed everybody who's tried to, you know, stand against him. That was a place of crucifixion. So, (laughs) you know, like that image of the cross, when you're thinking about Golgotha, you're thinking Mm. blood, you're thinking Mm. death, you're thinking um, somebody being beat. So the the picture of, you know, so all of that. Now, that changes my quiet time in the morning. That changes how I hear God in the morning. Because mm. I have to ask the cause. So, so when when Jesus is saying Eloi, Eloi lama sabatan, why God have you forsaken me? We cry that, you know. Mm. Uh, we like David, yeah. you know, because you know Jesus was quoting Saul, you know, the, the psalmist, and yeah. we're doing the same thing. We're crying out here like David, God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Sure. Because there shouldn't be yeah. blood. It shouldn't be okay for us to go to church stepping over blood. Um, so the location, so if I have to take people to say, you know, come read the scripture and then there's blood stinking around or there's somebody, someone being beat in front of you, how are you going to hear God? Yeah. What are you going to hear? What are you going to see? Um, and so for me, that that is the importance of the location mm. because we can stay within the walls and somebody being beat to death. Jesus would say to that person, today you'll be with me in paradise. Where was the church at that point? Mm-hmm. Our hands lifted up. <laughs> yeah, and having a blessed time. <laughs> it's and I'm like, yeah, it's. I mean, I, it's so interesting. I mean, we could talk about inside church and outside church, and that's one thing. And I'm, I'm just thinking while you're talking, I was like, those are questions that I mean, you you're forced to answer because there's, there's a. I'm going to use the word because I don't have another one. There's a proximity to what's happening. Mm. There's a closeness. Yes, but I'm going. I don't know if those are questions. Uh, certainly in, not in the suburbs I've lived in, but those are questions that are just not asked in the suburbs. We're not sure. wrestling with that in the suburbs. And I think that's that's part of this. We 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 need to become the household of God. We need to get incarnational. We need to get with one in that. And I think certainly for those who are listening who are located in the suburbs, I think uh, one, of, one of the questions you've got to ask yourself is how do you learn how, how do you mm. learn to read scripture with your brothers and sisters asking these questions? Uh, mm-hmm. These are not legitimate questions. These are not unorthodox questions. These are not heretical questions. And I think part of that is, and I think you you kind of, you you're almost intimating is that we've got to those of us who are living in suburbs have got to learn to go, because often when we have conferences, where do we have them? Mm-hmm. Where do yeah, we have them? Exactly. We have them in the suburbs because mm-hmm. there's the yeah there's nice facilities and everything. So we'll invite people and then and uh, your the cars will be t- safe there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, you're not you're not gonna let us get a little bit out. Little, you know, you're just gonna go right. We're gonna go right in there, yeah. Exactly, exactly that's it. Uh, the cars will be safe. Um, mm. Also, black people are used to traveling. We don't know where we're going. You know, it's all these kind of things. But mm-hmm. actually, what we're 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 actually losing in that we're not going and saying, I need to learn to know how to read scripture better. Uh, and mm-hmm. the only way I'm gonna learn to do yeah. better is is to have a. Now you've ruined this word for me, but I'm like, we need to go and learn <laughs> to be near. This audio was produced by Excelic Music. You can find them at www.excelic.co.za. 